and it's uh, always a pleasure to be with uh, many familiar brothers and sisters in Christ, whom I love dearly, and uh, others. Uh, just to see new faces here in the church is also uh, a, a great pleasure. My, uh, my youngest grandson calls me a traveling preacher. That's what he says I am now. And that's pretty accurate. I preach a couple times a month, round about here and there. Um, and so as a traveling preacher, you preach a little bit differently than you would as a pastor, you know, picking a book of the Bible and going right through it. Uh, I just kind of preach on what God has been saying to me, teaching me through his word. And uh, that's what I intend to do this morning by looking at a passage from David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Before we get to the text, um, I want to set it up by just reminding you of something that the author of Hebrews says in chapter 11, which is the great uh, honor roll, if you might say, of the faithful and the list of those who live by faith, those men and women. And among other things, he says of David and others, he says, who were by faith out of weakness made strong. And that's really the theme of this text. That's really what this is about. It is David at a particular time of crushing weakness being made strong. So let's hear the word of God then from 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'd like to read the first eight verses. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered them, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Thus ends the reading of God's word. We don't have time to go into the further of the story, but it does have a happy ending. They do pursue the Amalekites, and everyone is rescued. And uh, with that in mind, then, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this people. Pray that there would be a meeting now between your word by your spirit and the hearts of uh, these brothers and sisters and, and even my own heart. Uh, may it be for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would suggest to you that we see David at the lowest point in his life thus far. <clears throat> uh, Bathsheba was yet to come. That would be a, a low point as well. And his conflict with his son Absalom was yet to come. And that too, of course, would be a low point. But, but thus far in his life, this was surely the lowest point of David's life. He wept until he had no more strength to weep. And... I'd like you to see with me uh, three things I, I've learned from this, am learning from this, and I hope will be a blessing to you. 
I'd like you to consider these three things. First, that David tastes the bitter fruit of living by fear. Secondly, I want you to see that David is graciously humbled and strengthened. And thirdly, that David is restored to being the kind of Christ-like leader that God wants him to be. So first, David tastes the bitter fruit of living by fear. He wept. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. David and his men have returned from the land of the Philistines. A little bit more about that in a minute. They've come uh, undoubtedly seeking relief, finally, to be aware from there. And they walk into Ziklag, which was the refuge city where their families were sheltering uh, during that time. And they walk into a nightmare. Ziklag is burned to the ground. And all of their wives and children are taken captive by Amalekites. Unless you think it was merciful that the Amalekites didn't kill them, just think of what they captured them for. It would have been a lifetime of brutal slavery. You talk about weakness. David wept until he had no more strength to weep. And not only that, his men blamed him. They said, David, this is on you. And they were right. Um, <clears throat> if, if you don't agree with me, after reading through some of these sections of Sam, First Samuel, uh, try to be David's defense attorney at this point. Try to defend him and, and say, no, this really wasn't on David. But it was. it was. I'll show you in a minute, but it was the result of tactical decisions he had made as a leader and this was the bitter fruit of it. So just a minute on the backstory of this. You'll probably know it. Maybe you won't remember all of the details. But you'll remember King Saul, who was uh, removed from the kingship. He displeased the Lord. He lived by his own will rather than obedience to God. Uh, he was taken away from the kingship, though he was, in fact, in practice, still the king. David was the anointed. God promised that David would be the king. And this, of course, didn't sit well with Saul. And so in the early, in previous chapters of Samuel, you'll recall that Saul is chasing David around and, uh, and trying to kill him. In the midst of this, in some ways, David asks, acts very nobly. There are references to him seeking the Lord. Uh, there were a couple of places, you might recall, where David could have killed Saul. And he said, I'm not going to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Um, but, but I think the, the weariness of this and the uncertainty of it even took a toll on David's faith. And we kind of see a turning point in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Verses 1 and 2, I think, are very significant as he's fleeing uh, from Saul. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. Now there are all kinds of things wrong with what David is saying here. 
David is taking counsel of himself, mostly. And I think he's taking counsel here not of the Lord or not of trusted advisors. David is taking counsel of his fears. Saul is going to kill me. I've got to get out of here. And there are lots of eyes in this verse. David is, is thinking at this point more about himself than he is about the people who loved and depended upon him. Not only that, he says, there is nothing better for me. When we're not thinking straight, sometimes, don't you notice how we say strangely exaggerated things? If you're in your right mind, you'd say you'd never say. What a ridiculous thing to say. There is nothing better for me than to escape to the land of the Philistines. So David arose, and I think these words are deliberate and they're ominous, and he went over. Almost as if he's, he's giving up, or, or he's not really changing sides, but, but he's going to begin to play a double game. He goes to King Achish of the Philistines and says, in effect, I'm your man. And yet David begins to be really a double agent. He does fight, supposedly, on Achish's behalf. He goes out by the day with his men, and they do uh, come home with blood-stained garments. And Achish will say to David, well, where have you been raiding? And he said, well, of course I've been attacking Judah. Of course I've been attacking my people, the people, your enemies. But David isn't really attacking Judah. He's really attacking people like the Amalekites. So their raid may have been partly in revenge. But David is attacking the Amalekites, but he can't leave any witnesses. Because if word gets back to Achish that David has, been, has not been fighting Judah, but has been fighting other tribes, David's going to be in real trouble. And honestly, at this point, David is little better than a gangbanger or a thug. At verse 11 of chapter 27, David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath. Why? For some noble purpose. No, lest they should tell about us and say, so David was done. We can't leave any witnesses to our wrongdoing. David returns then. Uh, eventually, Achish kicks David and his men out. Uh, Achish's men begin to say, wait a minute, this is, this, is, um, this is Saul's friend, and this is the one of whom they say, David has slain his tens of thousands. What's he doing in our camp? And they kick him out. And maybe David was relieved by that, and maybe he hoped to go back to Ziklag, be with his family, uh, find some, some rest, and he comes back and he finds the disaster that I've described for you. Ziklag burned to the ground, all the wives, all the children, taken by the Amalekites to who knows where, and taken into captivity. And David knows, I'm sure David knew this was on him. It's not that uh, every time someone in our house is ill or physically or mentally or you lose your job, I'm not talking about that kind of thing that, that is, a, that is a, a down time that we should feel responsible for. But this is the kind of thing that David was making calculated decisions. Not only did they blow up in his face, they blew up in the faces of those who loved and depended on him. It made me think of Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. 
it is, that is a powerful warning to us because we all have within us a very dangerous capacity to rationalize, don't we? And I'm sure David must have said that to himself all throughout this, this episode. When, when he wasn't seeking the Lord, he was taking counsel really of his fears. And he said, this, this is the right thing to do. I, I don't have any other choice. I have to do this. Well, he did have another choice. He could have sought the Lord and asked the Lord what his will was and, and how he should uh, honor him in this situation. It's interesting that, that the book of Samuel is, is very much in tune with the state of David's soul. And the last time we see David seeking the Lord is in 1 Samuel chapter 23. So you have like seven chapters where there's absolutely no reference to David praying or seeking the Lord or seeking his counsel. And I think that silence is eloquent. As I say, David's results, David's leadership and David's decisions lead to disaster. It reminds me of what Amos says in chapter 5 about the man who fled from a lion and met a bear and went into his house and leaned against the wall and is bitten by a serpent. Here's the takeaway from this point, I think. When we live by fear and not by faith, we will bring suffering on those who love us and depend upon us. As Rick Phillips put it in his commentary on this passage, David was pursuing a scheme of self-salvation. Whereas Brian Chapel used to put it back at Covenant Seminary, he was living sola bootstrapsa. And I think that's right. So David is tasting then the bitter fruits of living by fear and not by faith. In the second place, I want you to see that David is graciously humbled and strengthened. I hope you've lived long enough in the Lord to know that disaster and suffering don't always soften someone's heart. They can have just the opposite effect. Someone can harden their heart under suffering and under trial. And David could have, at this point, pushed back against his men, and played the blame game. Well, if you'd been better soldiers, if you'd followed my orders, if you'd done what I said, he could have been full of bitterness, he could have given all of his energy to protecting his image, as sometimes leaders are tempted to do. David doesn't do any of that. He is flat out broken. He wept until he had no more strength to weep. And he was in deep distress, not, not simply because they were talking about stoning him, but because these were the men who trusted him, who followed his leadership, who sacrificed for him, and he knew he'd let them down. So David is broken to the world, that's a disaster. To Christians, we say, aha, grace is at work here. And it is. Remember the promise that we see both in Old and New Testament that God opposes the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. The Lord is giving grace here to David. And here's, here's this beautiful statement, and I think it's at the heart of our passage. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
beautiful statement that is. What does that mean? What did that look like? What exactly do we think David was doing? How did he strengthen himself in the Lord his God? Well, I don't think it's too hard to figure that out. If we look back in 1 Samuel chapter 23, we see a reference to the, to the deep friendship between Jonathan and David. And uh, at another time of distress, Jonathan came to David, and the text tells us, 1 Samuel 23, verse 16, and Jonathan strengthened his hand in God. Same words that are used in our passage where David strengthened himself. Here, Jonathan strengthens David in God. And what did he do? How did he do that? Verse 17 tells us, he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. Jonathan strengthens David's hands by reminding him of the promises of God. By preaching to him the covenant promises. Oh, that God would give us the grace to be friends like that. To our friends. To, to strengthen them in God by reminding them at the right time and in the right way of the promises of God. And David, in a sense, in this case, and sometimes we have to, we have to self-minister, if you will. It's not just about friends. It's about strengthening ourselves in the Lord his God. And David then reminded himself of the promises of God. I think you were reading from one, Psalm 103 earlier, and that's, that's one that I, that I had in mind. David would write this at some point in his life. Don't know if he'd written it now or maybe later. But, but perhaps and probably it was words like this that David was thinking about at this time. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, he reminds himself. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns your life with steadfast love and mercy. A little bit further down, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He will not always chide. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. There was nothing that David needed to hear more at that time than that. There was nothing that this broken, guilty, failed leader needed to hear more than that at that time. And what a wonderful contrast we see here. In that early passage, David is talking to himself in fear. Now he's talking to himself in faith. Before he was taking counsel of his fears, and that was driving his life. Now he's taking counsel of the promises of God. And he's preaching and he's meditating to him on the promises of God that will never change. It is the Lord his God he takes strength in. The covenant Lord who has made promises to him, who has bound himself to him by a covenant. Not just corporately, but to each individual believer. Think of what a beautiful thing this is. In his mess, before he tries to fix it, before he, there's nothing he can do, before he does anything about it, what does David do? He makes a beeline to the Lord. David, it seems, has been trapped in a good sense, by God's grace. Brought back to his right mind. Brought to his knees. My dear friends, I say that to you in your lives. 
what mess might you be in? What might be breaking your heart this very day? What makes you feel weak and miserable and guilty? Don't try to fix it. The first thing is to make a beeline to the Lord Jesus Christ and be reminded of his promises and seek his strength. I hope you believe this, that the sovereign goodness of God is such that he will take even your and my greatest mistakes and use them for good. You believe that? It's true. It is true. Nothing takes him by surprise. All things do work together for good. He will take even your and my greatest mistakes and use them for good because he's glorified. And we see him as the source of all goodness and we depend upon him. Well, on to our third point. Not only though is David by grace strengthened, not only is he personally refreshed by grace, which is important, but David is also restored to being a Christ-like leader. It would be all well and good for David to feel better, you know, and feel forgiven and to feel God's promises, which was all a wonderful thing. But what about the people who are still held captive? What about the people he'd let down who were still in a mess? The people he had hurt by living by fear? What about them? And that's the point of verses 7 and 8. David goes to Abiathar the priest, give me the ephod. So David, the Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David required to the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? And the Lord answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. We don't have an ephod anymore. We don't need an ephod. We have a Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We have godly, wise leaders and friends who can counsel us, but it's the same dynamic. Two really good things are happening here. David is not taking counsel of his fears anymore. He's concerned about those who loved and depended upon them, and he wants to do something for them. And the second really good thing that's happening here is David seeking God, which he hadn't done for a long time. The Lord answers, go ahead, pursue, and we don't have time to look at it, but it does have a happy ending. The more we are strengthened in the Lord our God, the more we are strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we know that life is not mainly about us or about me, it's about serving others, and especially our responsibilities to those who love us and depend on us. Whether that's as a mom, whether that's as a dad, whether that's as a leader, whether that's as a, as a Christian neighbor, whether that's as a Christian friend, the more we walk with the Lord and are strengthened by his grace, the more we know that that's what Jesus calls us to. And I believe that in an odd sort of way, David here, and I close with this, is pointing us to Jesus once again. David is the Lord's anointed, and sometimes his life points us to Christ directly, doesn't it? David is the shepherd king which points us to Jesus, who in the fullness of time is the greater shepherd king. And there are plenty of things in David's life that point us to Jesus in that positive way. But there are other 
ways in which David's life points us to Jesus by contrast. And this is one of those. David took counsel of his fears, and it led to great suffering for those who loved and depended upon him. Thanks be to God that we have a shepherd king who doesn't do that. Imagine, under the pressure that Jesus faced in his life, and particularly as the cross approached, pressure like no human had ever faced, and he was fully and truly human, yet without sin, pressure like no one else had ever faced. Thank God that he didn't say, well, I better take counsel of my fears. How can I rescue myself? Let's see. Maybe I can work out some kind of compromise with the Pharisees. Maybe I can back off on the I am statements, and maybe I could just talk more about we are, and it could be sort of a collegial thing, and we could get together and get rid of all this pressure. Thanks be to God that he did not do that. He knew that wasn't his calling. He knew that wasn't his responsibility. And so, in the simple and profound words of the scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What a wonderful, true, glorious shepherd king he is. And the more we trust him and walk with him, the more we'll be shielded from the errors David made and live lives of love and caring and building up those who love us and depend upon us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, may we not this morning be mere hearers of your word, but doers of it. And especially help us all in our various trials and miseries and things that break us. Make a beeline to you in your mercy. Thank you that your mercies never fail, that you forgive our iniquities, that you heal us, that you raise us up, that you strengthen us, that you are near to us in trouble. Thank you for that. May we indeed be true followers of our beloved Lord, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.